At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Psychobetical podcast. I'm your host, Annika Patrick, uh, back in Ireland after my uh, after being on tour, which is very nice. I'm just up in my uh, is it an office, some kind of uh, room. It's funny. It sounds fancy in it, an office, and it was like a room in the house. Um, and uh, the rain is falling down outside, uh, as it usually is. Um, I know. I kind of it made me real. I often complain about the weather here. But I've kind of realised that because it's right on the edge of the Atlantic, uh, like you can see, you can see Craggy Island from my house, is because uh, it's because it's kind of Atlantic weather. Like it comes, the weather comes in like in uh, in uh, waves. So you like when I was in when I was in England, I was in the Lake District. It just rained like every single day for a week, and it was just this like constant drizzly, horrible, miserable weather. Where here it's uh, it it comes in in like kind of waves. Like they have this. If they say like if you can see, you know, you can see the Aran Islands from our house. Uh, it means it's going to rain, and if you can't see the Aran Islands, it's raining. So it kind of it kind of sums it up. And people people around here like when they say oh the weather's oh nice weather, they mean like right this second. So it's uh, so yeah. So it's made me it's made me appreciate the the nice little bits of sunshine. I've been getting my vitamin D. You know it was. I think I felt the sun on my my face about twenty minutes today when I was like pushing Noah around in his pram. So, so yeah, maybe that's a, maybe it's maybe that's a bit something to do with life. Maybe you know, getting the getting the making making the most of the of the sun rays that you get on your face and appreciating them. So um, yeah, so it's good to be back. So I've, I I've brought my I came back. I brought my son back, Ewan. So he's not been fi- been able to find any work. I think because he looks too young. He's a, he's twenty, but he actually looks about fifteen. So I sort of brought him back over with me. So he's back living with living with me now. So he's, uh, but within within one day of being here, he's got like an interview. Uh, is <laughs> it's not like a fancy interview. <laughs> Basically, we like printed off loads of CVs, like twenty CVs, and then just like walked around uh, Galway. And here, where I live, like handing out CVs, and the best, the best job we saw was working in a, working out in a uh, milkshake, milkshake place. You know where there's just like a guy and he's like making milkshakes, but there's usually two of them anywhere. The guy looked like he was desperate for some, some you know like help wanted sign, so we got him to give him his, uh, give him a CV, and then, and then he. In the village where I live in, there's like a supermarket. So he so he went and gave his CV in there, and he so he, but he got an interview today. So he basically, uh, it looks like he might get that job. So I've been, 
the guy was like, oh, I can, I only, I'm only going to give you the job if you're going to work for me for six months. I don't want to train you off if you're just going to go off. So Ewan was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay here for at least six months in Ireland. And then Vanessa, Vanessa was like, oh, you think you know Ewan, you can, it's not, you know, it's, it might just be a crap job, but, you know, if you work there for six months, then you could go and get a job in the milkshake, <laughs> making milkshakes instead. So it's funny. But is it, is it, it's a funny, um, it's, uh, you know when you when you when you're sort of talking about talking to people, you know they're trying to, uh, you know, get these like great careers. Like oh, I'm gonna, I've got a career in, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, not computer language. What's it called? Uh, thingy learning. You know, like machine learning or something. Um, but yeah, but I I I have noticed that I've noticed that. Like it did. It didn't. Maybe maybe you said this last time. Did I say talk about this last time? But like in the past, when you when you were when you were a kid, like this, I guess I'm a Generation X person, so I didn't I didn't really get this. It doesn't happen to me. But you, you know, if you if you're a boomer or, or whatever, you're like post boomer, whatever you are, you know, you really were like tracked from from quite a young age. You knew exactly what you're going to be doing. But um, like that kind of probably started falling apart a little bit when I was when I was like leaving school. Um, maybe maybe it depends what kind of school you went to. Uh, like you had like free university education and stuff when I when I left school. Um, but now you get all these like poor like kids and they're they're basically leaving leaving university or leaving school, and they're just in their head they're trying to set up the next Google in a way. Um, you know, so it's like really like they're no wonder they're bound to fail. They're always getting like the the idea of getting a job in a supermarket is uh you know like you know it's like a humiliation really but but any any job is a great education like any even probably the worst the worst jobs you get are probably the best education like we just we just had our septic tank emptied here because Ireland has a, the largest number of septic tanks in the world apparently so everywhere every house basically has a septic cat tank if you don't know what that is it's basically a massive hole that's full of shit basically and it kind of the idea it kind of filters through into the water and then you know, whether it does but this this house has never had its septic tank tempted in about 20 something years so the anyway the, the guy came around and i was like thinking oh christ now that is now that is a shit job like emptying shit out of people's septic tanks and uh but you just have to get used to it like we, i used to go used to go fishing when i was a kid next to a sewage wax and you do kind of get used to the smell because the smell of sewage doesn't actually smell like shit it smells like something else don't know why that is. Hmm, interesting. Um, but I was thinking I was I was gonna start having a bit of a chit chat with the with the shit the shit man, but then I thought mm, he probably doesn't want to have a chit chat. Like he's probably got shit to do. <laughs> and I thought like, oh, I'm not gonna shake your hand, you know, as you're leaving. <laughs> You've got shit on your hand. He'd have rubber gloves on, but even so, it wasn't like. Um, you know, so it's like he's he's basically like like a an unclean person, like literally unclean, and uh, but yeah, it's funny like how I was thinking that like if you got really desperate, you could always do that, but then you may, you might find out you have to be really highly qualified these days, like have to do a degree in uh, in you know shit tank, you know economics or something. So if that that's typical, isn't it? If it turned out it was like really highly paid job, no no one you know everyone's trying to get in on the old emptying shit tanks, but. I guess it's kind of rewarding, isn't it? You know, like dealing de- dealing with other people's shit all day long. I guess it's like maybe that's like maybe that's like most jobs. 
So, so yeah, so hopefully Ewan will get this job. And, uh, you know, like, it's, uh, it's yeah, kind of tough. I think it's... I think it's definitely tough for boys. Like no one, ever, no one seems to agree with me that it's tough for boys, but uh, especially women. I often bring it up with women, you know, professional women, that basically, if you're a white working class boy, you basically life is pretty hard and shit, and they all they all seem to just then automatically think of some middle class professional sixty year old line manager and think that it's bullshit. But I think if you look at the stats, like if you're if you're um, Jamaican heritage uh, boy or white working class boy, you're basically right at the very bottom of every, of all the stats for education and everything else. And um, but conversely, I think if you're Nigerian, if you're like a Nigerian boy, um, then you're kind of up at the top. So it's not to do with um, systematic racism; it's to do with other things. So. So yes, I'm doing my. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I'm gonna, I'm trying to get him to learn um, uh, Python because he's it's one of those like a lot of like a lot of boys. He's kind of interested in lots of things, but nothing really sticks. So I'm trying to get him to stick with like Python, and uh, both both of them both both the, like post tour. Both of them are like I'm trying to get him involved in doing like a YouTube channel. So he's going to be like filming it and editing it, and uh, basically, if there's two people doing something together, there's more chance of it happening. It's a bit like climbing, you know, like each person tends to motivate the other. So when one when one person's like you know lack, sort of declining in, in you know in kind of psych for it, the other person's generally not. So um, so yeah, so Adela's. Ellis started trying to set up some social media for me, but as in a separate thing. So instead of like me being on social media, it's like it's like a famous person social media. Or it's like Andy's official, you know, social media. So, but the main well, that's mainly because I'm just sick of sick of them going on about me having no social media. So I need to, and they're just gonna they're just gonna if anything if there's anything important they're gonna just do it like you know i'm not being involved not involved with it but if i do like videos or podcasts it'll be on there so uh i guess i have to i have to do it but i'm not gonna i'm probably not i just want to don't want to get involved in it because it's like i ain't got enough time so anyway but so, so what's what's today's podcast about um i thought i should do a few uh questions and answers and i'll, I'll zip through my zip down through my through my my whatsapp my um emails see what questions and answers i've got um or questions um uh it's interesting it was it was cool being on tour like realizing how many people listen to my podcast like it seemed to quite a lot and i got some really amazing uh like um what do you call it um uh feedback from the tour like people saying like they'd not laughed that much for two years which is which is kind of really really which is really cool really so so yeah so i shall i shall whiz through a few of these i've got one about skis uh i've got one of my ice axes i've probably got some others i've not actually sorted them out so so i'll start with the ski one um i shall get past all the blah 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 this is from uh jonathan anyway winter is here and i'm looking at the x pivot binding to go along with some la sportiva equilibrium lt gore-tex that i just picked up hoping to try our ice climbing in january with a friend 
The question I have is that the Hagen site says that you need a flexible boot to go with the X-Pivot binding. And I'm curious if you have used mountaineering boots with the Hagen X-Pivot binding before. Will this work at, out at all? I am hoping that I can get some boot to do mountaineering, a little backcountry skiing and do some ice mix climbing in them. My main interest is rock climbing and I try to preserve most of my funds for that. So, so anytime I can use the same gear across sports is a plus, or at least for sports I only dabble in. Anyway, thanks for the work you do. I'm learning a lot from higher education. Your, recommenda your recommendations have never steered me wrong. Oh God, just just your way. Cheers, Jonathan. Right, so, uh, so I'll give you, I'll give you a general a general thing about I thought about skis. So you've got. So you've got basically sort of downhill skis and downhill bindings. So, you know, the, the skis and the bindings you go to the piste skiing with and you have plastic ski boots, which are like heavy duty, you know, like you're, 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 you're kind of, you're, you're, uh, your car, your, um, your lower leg, what's it called? Your shin are kind of, you know, pushed forward a little bit. So you, you know, it's, and all that kind of stuff. They're very, very heavy. You can't climb in them. You can't. You can't even walk in them. They're just for skiing, and the skis are generally, you know, like wasted skis. But the, the but the skis are pretty heavy, and the bindings are very very heavy. And the bindings are designed primarily to release, so you don't break your, don't get a spiral fracture of your leg and all that kind of stuff. So the kind of a it's a, a very you know the modern skis you would buy or or rent from a ski 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 place ski shop. <clears throat> a really fantastic fantastic you know they're if you get your boots to fit um they all they kind of they don't ski themselves but they pretty much ski themselves in a way like they turn so easily and your boots fit and and all that kind of stuff and and the hard the harder you the harder you want to ski you know you need to get boots that fit even better and um uh but those but because you've because you've because but they have no they have no utility beyond going downhill so if you imagine like a bobsled like a bobsled is no good for going like bobsled touring because basically it's a big heavy plastic carbon fiber thing for going down a very you know specific kind of terrain like you can't go off road on your uh, bobsled so um so a kind of downhill skis a kind of similar like proper downhill skis. so we call it like leisure kind of skis um so and then so then you've but so those those skis are basically have no uh, interaction with climbing climbing or mountaineering they're 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 like a separate thing altogether just for going downhill skiing so then you've got ski mountaineering skis which are basically um uh like a mountaineering uh like like traveling in the mountains kind of idea but generally with with an with an emphasis on skiing downhill you know so you have uh you have lighter skis and the skis are so they're not as stiff so that that has a sort of you have to be slightly better at skiing if you if you've got skis which are lighter weight and less stiff they might not be as wide depending what kind of terrain you're going to ski in them um uh they're ge they're generally a lot lighter like some of them like this like the you know the, the top end ones are very very light, 
then you will have bindings which are much lighter as well and also they will not um they they can they can be free heel bindings uh, so that means that when you put your boot into them so this is i know this is like this is sucking sucking eggs for most people you know you put your boots into them you click them on and you can either have your heel like locked into the ski for downhill skiing or you can or you can release the heel and then you can um your, your heels free so if you want to be like skiing on the flat or skiing uphill and you can actually ski up pretty steep hill um most of them have like a little riser like a a thing that you flick flick up or you use the actual back part of the ski binding so it means that you uh your foot doesn't go all the way back down so you uh you know so if you're, as you're skiing up your your heel is like back back it's like landing on top of a like an extension that stops so you can go at like 45 degrees slopes and that kind of stuff or even steeper and uh and those kind of skis are also will be designed to to take skins so skin is a piece of fabric that goes underneath this some some skis have got fish scales on them but generally not not that common on this kind of ski and you uh you put the skin on and it means you can ski uh uphill you're actually quite steep hills and uh, some skis have uh you don't really need like a full length skin but you know most of them have like full length skins so you you make sure this the ski is clean and you generally want your skins like in your clothes so they're nice and warm but sometimes probably not probably just in your bag and you just sort of they've got glue on them and you basically uh, touch the end and you and you pull them down and, and then they then they kind of stick on and uh and away you go and uh, like the worst thing can happen is like if your skin sort of pops off and then you get snow on them then you then you like kind of screwed a bit so they can be a complete pain in the ass skins and you also get some modern ones where you have like kicker skins which are much shorter because you don't really need full length skins you just need like basically where most of the load is so that so you have like short, some shorter skins that kind of fit on with uh like attachment with like um fisher skins and some other some other kind of makes have like a short skin so they're they're good and i've used like i've used like kicker skins quite a lot so because they're a lot lighter like if you're gonna put them in your clothes to dry out or whatever it's much, you're much better having like sort of small skins um and uh and you can also use crampons with those you get like a crampon that fits onto this onto the binding uh and it means that when you're if you're like traversing on very very hard uh compact neve like they don't they don't work on ice but very hard snow then it can be very scary like if you're on a very steep slope and you're sort of contouring around on your skis uh you know if you start slipping you kind of you kind of had it depends on how good your edges on you so you know you have like metal edges on your skis are kind of very important for traversing and stuff so so yeah so some people might wear wear um wear those on uh, wear, wear like crampons on underneath and just like whip them off and put them back on again and then the boots themselves like um you probably want a, a ski mountaineering uh, plastic boot which will be a lighter weight boot that has uh uh, more more ankle flexibility basically flex more flexible all over like it's you wouldn't want to go walking very far in one because they're not designed for walking but you can walk a little bit easier but not that easy because really they have to perform the function of a ski boot which is counter to what a walking boot would be but you can you can get away with it and you can do base some very easy ice climbing like some people like nick bullock and people like that they, they used to climb quite hard in their in the really they had, they had very very lightweight kind of um uh, ski boots 
So, but even even though she probably are better with a proper climbing boot rather than a ski boot, like you can climb, you know, you can do you can go rock climbing in your plastic boots, but you're probably better wearing rock boots. It's the same same kind of deal. Um, so with those with that kind of setup, a like ski mountaineering setup, you can basically, you know, you can ski into climbs, you can ski up mountains, you can ski ski down mountains, you can do like everything. So it's like the ultimate tool for traveling in in the mountains to some degree but it is kind of limited so the classic thing is can i can i ski can can i replace the ski boots with plastic mountaineering boots or you know mountaineering boots now you you can to some degree if you are an absolute wad you know a premier division skier uh but even then it's it's you're going to find it like really 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 hard and your your feet are probably you know you you have no real kind of support around your ankles so you are very limited to to what you can do in terms of actual skiing like skiing downhill um skiing uphill is is actually is is totally fine it's probably easier with that kind of setup but also when you're traversing you you don't have as much control over the edges of the ski because your boots are too soft. Like I've tried to ski in like Olympus Mons kind of boots, and it's like almost like impossible because um, the boots are just too too you know too roomy. Like a you know like a real proper ski boot is like very very tight because you want to transfer like every little degree of movement like into your skis. So um, so yeah, so so skiing in boots like you know you might think oh, I'll go up to the the midi and then i'll ski down i'll do like the the super cool wire or something and i'll just ski down in my my like you know your sportiva you know like leather sportiva boots or soft sportiva mountaineering boots but god it's like fucking it's like unless you're really really good it's like really really hard to do and you're probably likely to you know because they are supposed to pop off and they will fit on they you know don't fit on all bindings like ideally you want a binding which is like a four, like a Silveretta four hundred four, or is it four hundred five? There's a few different old school bindings, but they're not that dependable for uh, popping off, especially if you're wearing non-ski boots. So, like in that, you know, then you like, you know, but the, and those bindings are probably great bindings if you are are wearing ski boots either. So my advice would would be if you want to, you know, set get a setup that you can go ski mountaineering in. You know, like a, a medium pe- pair of skis. So like you don't have to. They don't have to be a super light carbon fiber skis, but they just have to be appropriate for what you want to do with them. And you probably want to ski that you can ski on the piste, and you can ski off piste, and you can ski to climbs, and you ski off climbs, and and that kind of stuff. So you just you want to get like a medium, you know, medium weight ski, uh, medium weight bindings that are going to pop off easily. Then you want a medium weight boot, um, like ski boot. Uh, uh, like a ski mountaineering boot and then i would take that system and then i would like really really hit the the pieces and get like really shit hot skiing just down piece and that kind of stuff and then i would like then you would like move on to skiing off piste more and then you would you know and while you're doing this you would like get better at sort of ski mountaineering and uh and all that kind of stuff so when it when it actually came to actually going climbing because another thing is you're adding in like a rucksack and weight and everything else which is different to, to normal skiing like skiing with a heavy rucksack on is like is actually quite difficult or even any kind of rucksack is going to be it's going to affect your balance and then what i would do when 
if you actually went to go skiing to climbs, I would just take the, the boots with you. Take take your mountaineering boots with you and skiing, skiing, leave your boots, you know, whatever, and and uh, you know, just just have a separate system. Like the the saving of of wearing your mountaineering boots in your skis is not worth it. It's like the risk of damaging yourself is too high, really, and uh, especially you know, a risk of damaging yourself skiing. As in, you take you have a horrible accident, have a horrible crash, or the risk of your boots not releasing and you breaking your legs or something. It's not. It's not worth it. So, so that's that's a that's a that's a kind of good system. Like one pair of skis I've got are some very very uh, short skis. Are they 130 centimeters? They're very short. They're like one meter skis, like Hagen skis, um, which are very because they're very short. They're very easy to maneuver and but they're actually quite heavy because they're short they're very they're quite stiff quite heavy skis but they just have four or four bindings on which uh, uh, you can put you know you can put like any kind of boot on them really any cut you could you know so i i use them with uh i've got like a few different i've, I've worn with a few different types of like sportiva like, like climbing boots and they're kind of okay like on a piece you could you know i can probably ski down like a you know, like a green or a blue run or something, but I have to be very, very careful. I have to do quite a lot of turns. I don't want to get out of control because even just trying to do like a snowplow is actually quite difficult because, you know, when you do a snowplow, you're trying to bend the, you know, get the, the edges to engage, but you, it's very hard to do that. If you have to do like a really extreme kind of snowplow, which you don't want to be doing really, and you're not you're not going to be doing like snowplows very easily if you're, you know, like in deep snow. So, so yeah, so, that, so that's, the, so you got your, your leisure ski boots binding combo and then you've got your ski mountaineering kind of combo which you which you can use for leisure skiing but it's just, it's, a, it's a big more it's a bit it's a bigger investment although you can buy a lot of this stuff quite cheaply off ebay and stuff like people are always getting rid of gear and then and then you've got like sort of nordic skiing so the nordic skiing is uh basically kind of flat more more kind of for travel in the mountains but not necessarily traveling uh up big steep mountains and skiing down them it's more you know it's like rolling rolling country so when people ski to the north pole or the south pole they, they're not skiing on ski mountaineering gear they're skiing generally with uh nordic skis so nordic so nordic ski is very very lightweight it's quite thin so instead of uh, instead of fifty centimeters, it's like twenty five centimeters anyway. But they're a lot thinner, and they might they're, they're probably similar kind of height, but they're very very flexible, and um, the bindings only attach to the toe of the boot. There's no heel heel clip at all. So you have a few different kind of bindings. You have like a a, a pin binding, uh, different well two different kind of kind of pin binding where the boot itself and the boots are always very very flexible like made out of leather or some kind of synthetic material and they're usually a single layer unless it's like for extreme going to the south pole or whatever and you have like a you have like a bar on the front of your boot and the bar clips into a, a binding um is it cnn bcc or whatever it is binding and then you also have like a more of an old school which is a uh uh i can't remember what it's called now but it's like a metal flange, and the boot has like a square toe. The the wet there was like a welt, like the the um the sole of the boot has like a welt on it, and that kind of goes into that, and it kind of locks in, and you you got a heel clip. Now they're they're probably the they're probably the most robust kind of binding, 
that you can get like the pin bindings like i've seen several of them break i've seen the pins the pins come out of the boot i've seen the bindings break uh so they're they're i they're not that trustworthy in my mind like if you were going to spend a hundred grand to go to the the south pole you don't i wouldn't use one of those kind of bindings even though it, it, they are more efficient but you just want something that's very very strong like i think most of the bindings like say the army would use like in norway are the uh the the, the flange kind of bindings what the hell do they make them um i can't remember but you know, but that's but that but you know, anything that anything you're going to give to a load of squaddies who can't ski um has to be good because basically they would break it if it if it wasn't uh, and i've seen i've seen people who are actually very good at skiing break the the other bindings so it's quality control or something i don't know what's wrong with them but they, they do they do have problems um so uh, and then you so i say your boots are very very flexible the boots are more like walking boots so again you you probably want to view them as being for like walking rather than extreme skiing so you can you can ski up quite like in Antarctica, I skied up some quite steep uh, mountains, even though I can't really ski. Um, so that for moving around, you can you you can you can ski quite steep stuff, even just with kicker skins on. You don't really have, you don't usually wear crampons with them, like ski crampons, but you can put full full end skins, which you probably only use if you're like pulling very heavy loads up steep hills uh, or like kicker skins, and. Uh, and again, because the because the skins are thinner and they're sh and they're kind of quite short, they're much easier to put in your clothing and keep dry, or even put in your sleeping bag to try and dry out at night. Um, like sometimes if you're in if you're doing like a big trip, like in on Denali, like we like super glued our skins on because we were never going to take them off, and we screwed them in with like little wood screws, so they could, you did, you didn't have to worry about the skins coming off. And like on Denali, on Denali, we actually so we had that kind, we had Nordic skis. Because we weren't going to do any like downhill skiing, because we had like massive, uh, you know, boots which are like huge, hugely too big, and they, uh, uh, we actually ended up having to make. It's actually quite steep some parts going up, and we had kicker skins on, and we had because we had like two months food and a lot of weight, it was just too heavy, and this because the snow was very deep, so we ended up making like ski crampons out of uh, a cord out of like seven mil cord so we just like crisscrossed around underneath the main part of the ski and then that kind of um that went that went very very well and doesn't if the snow's that deep you don't you know you're, you're not like gliding anywhere but the idea is as you like on the flat you get some glide if you're on uh, if you've got like proper proper boots proper setup you should get a little bit of glide as you're skiing so if you're skiing say a thousand kilometers you know that glide would would save you like a huge amount of time and energy, so so it's all about getting efficient at it. It's more like probably more like running rather than you know slogging along in your on your ski mountaineering gear. Now those kind of now that kind of Nordic ski setup has no value again unless you're going to ski in. Say you were like in Siberia and you wanted to, you had like a really long flat approach through forests and things. You know maybe like you know 50 miles through forest and easy easy ground then that that is a system you'd want to use rather than using uh, snowshoes uh, you would like you would get there like you know four times faster and you would use like very you use very little energy when you're traveling uh, on flat ground in those kind of skis 
because you just have them you just you just flow a lot better than you do with a with a normal with, with snowshoes so like snowshoes are always the the last well apart from having nothing at all like snowshoes should always be the last um call really like there are, snowshoes are really only good for if you're in like really really sort of dense terrain where like if you get steep snowshoes are, are still a pain as well they're just a little bit better than not having any shoes on but like if you're in you know like, there's lots of rocks or lots of trees and stuff maybe they're better than skis but generally skis are always better you know if you think about the the fins up in you know up in like finland like that kind of terrain norwegians like norwegians are you know swedes pre- premier kind of nordic skiers as as you can tell by the name so yeah very good for like very good for like mountain travel uh and again like obviously like you know people going to north pole south pole it shows what they're ideal for and um uh and you generally the boots are a bit a little bit thinner because you have you're you're generally going quicker so you stay warmer as well because you because your feet are flexing like once your feet are rigid inside a boot they always get a lot colder and the more extreme versions of the nordic boots have they're like oversized and you wear like a big thick woolen sock inside like a booty and then you wear your other socks inside that uh, or you can replace the inner with like a um you know like a close cell form like inner boot you'd have like on a, on a plastic boot you can some people use that as well because the the woolen the woolen inner boots generally wear out and you'll end up getting whole you know you end up just like working wearing out if you're skiing a long way in them um so like beyond that so again so yes yeah, so that's got no that that's apart from changing again like changing it into your climbing shoes that's you know, and and you have to, but you you really can't ski downhill in them unless you're really good, and you can do like Nordic, unless you can do like Telemark turns and things. So you have to basically have grown up in those kind of skis to be able to to skiing them, skiing them like effectively downhill. Otherwise, they're just a bit of a disaster. Like I can kind of survival ski downhill in them, but it is very very difficult, and because your heels are locked in, you know, if you. Uh, if you get any resistance and your skis start slowing down, your body tends to then just fly forward and you'll just fall off. And they don't really, your feet don't really come out of them very easily. Your, your feet are probably more like just come out of your your boots or something. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So in Greenland, I didn't even do my shoes up. I just like skied along with my shoes. I didn't have any laces in my shoes. And that kind of shows like on the flat, you don't even need laces in your boots. You just kind of you know shooshing along i didn't put i didn't put any laces in because my uh my boots got very sort of damp because it's actually quite damp in greenland and i just found my f- my feet being able to move more easily inside the boots uh kept them warmer than having them like locked in there i didn't really need them to be locked in and then you got another category of um this combination of ski bindings so these are so these x trace bindings or the other there are a few different there's some really old school bindings and there's some uh, ice trek do a similar binding and basically what it is is uh it's a free heel binding which is like a plate with straps on it sometimes the straps are made out of like ratchet straps like you would get on a snowboard boot a snowboard binding and then other other kinds you also you've also got like split boards but we won't go into that it's a different thing um so so basically you can you can take any kind of footwear you could take a tray you know running shoe you know you could take anything basically and just put them on this plate 
which is attached to the ski and you just ratchet up the straps and then away you go so as you can imagine they're, they're really only, only designed for for going on the flat so the the ice trek binding which i've used quite a lot there's various versions of it but the most simple version is just a piece of polycarbonate is it polycarbonate anyway that white plastic that's very very flexible and it's just bolt it's just like screwed in with four f- four screws at the at the toe and then you have um like a strap system a bit like a snow sh- some snowshoes have a similar system you just put your foot on it strap it up and then away you go but you really have no um controlling contouring kind of control and they're just for kind of going straight so if you were if you were like going up to do an ice climb in Konya then it'd be it'd be ideal for that because you're just going along these like groomed trails or through the forest um but if you were going back downhill again through a forest it'd be really really difficult because it's very hard to to get any control over them and uh like even with the normal even you know you kind of need more speed really and the faster you go you really need to have the more the more the faster you go the easier it is but the more demands there is on you on the amount of control you can exert on your skis so with those kind of bindings you you there's very little control over the skis. It's just basically going through the the very toe of the ski, so it's it's almost kind of impossible unless you're really a really really good skier. So, um, so people use those skis primarily again, like the military. I think the the U.S. military adopted the ice trek skis because because you because people can put in uh, like those big rubber bunny boots in them, or they can put in like leather, you know, like insulated leather winter boots in them or almost any kind of boot they could even put like a, a mucklock which is like an a non-boot boot like a, a multi a multi-layered sort of fabric like over like a sock basically that you wear it's got no it's, it's not it's not stiff at all like a like a big pair of slippers basically so you could put them in um the main the main thing with like the softer the boot the more you're going to get pressure from this from the binding like stra- as you're strapping it in so the, those are, you know, good if you just, they've kind of replaced the, you know, the Nordic bindings for a lot of like military or scientific, or, you know, people working in, you know, Antarctica or places, you know, you just give it to someone and say like, stick that on and just ski over there and do what you want to do. So you don't need to train them up, whatever. Uh, the downsides are they don't really, they don't, your foot is like locked in there. So you've got a higher chance, I'm guessing, of, uh, having an injury so you, that's why you don't want to be doing anything where you're going skiing like if you say i'm just going to nip down this through this forest with my um, ice trick bindings on and you're heading down there and you one ski just goes one way around a tree and the other one goes the other way like you'll you just wreck your you'll just wreck your knee wreck your break your ankle whatever so they're really just really just from the flat so you wouldn't want to be going up to like again skiing down 20 climbs in those kind of things but it's more for if you were living in a, a snowy area like Alaska. So they were kind of appropriate on Denali because when we had when we were coming downhill, like if it was steep, we just walked down the hill, and then when it got flat, we put the skis on. And because we had the because we had crampons like rope crampons, it meant that they wouldn't glide. They were just they were just almost like a kind of an improvement on a, on a snowshoe. So it meant you could kind of like shoosh downhill without the ski like gaining any real speed on you so we kind of skied you know all the way all the way down all the way up back to the 
you know so, so it was a you know it's, it kind of worked it kind of works quite well for that kind of thing um uh so and the the x trace ones are a are a, a variation of the th on the theme where they have a um i think they're hinged i think at the toe so you just strap them in and they're kind of but they look the the ice trick ones look a bit more heath robinson but the kind of the fact that kind of adopted by the military probably shows why that they're actually very very tough it's the same material they make those sleds out of you know like casualty sleds where you roll it up and you put people in it and you can pull them along it's the same material so it's kind of they're kind of indestructible um the main the main thing though is to um is to make sure you have full length like when you buy an ice trek binding or any of these kind of bindings you you screw them onto the ski so well nearly all the skis you're going to buy you're made out of wood um, they've got wood or they might have some carbon fiber in there or might have something in there but you basically screw them in th into the wood now i would recommend that you get like a professional to put them in there because they really want the amount of um force that can go into those bindings is actually quite high like the bind the bindings i had on denali i actually put in there was actually a long screw and a short screw I don't know what the short screws were for, but I actually put in the short screws when there should have been long screws. Now, they were only a little bit shorter than the other ones, but they did start popping out, which is not ideal um, because there was just too much force. Like if you're going up a slope and it ends up being quite steep, like in a whiteout, it's actually quite hard to see how steep a slope is. So it's only when you're going down, you realize you're actually going up quite a steep slope at some times. So you, and you're pulling a really heavy pulk. So if you're, um, if you're, putting pressure on the ski and it slips your toe is actually going to put a huge amount of leverage on the front of the binding which isn't gonna which doesn't really happen with a with a with a fixed binding because it because your heel's kind of locked in locked locked in at the, at the heel um so the, the force is going through the heel so yeah I, I would make sure you get like a very deep binding very deep hole i mean a very secure connection from the binding into the ski if you're using that kind of binding and you know make sure it's like you know bonded in or whatever like you know just make sure you get the strongest setup you can um and uh, again like you know with that kind of thing you probably want to put it onto a nordic ski you don't want a you don't want like a mountaineering ski unless you want like tons of tons of flotation then you would have it on like a fat a fat downhill ski but generally like a nordic ski like the skis we had on alaska were nato were nato skis which were bought for like 15 euros off um off ebay and they were they're like perfect because again they're like they're just classes like a nato ski but they're made by an uh asnes not what they're called anyway anyway norwegian company that make really good skis um like the classic skis for if you want like an all-round adventure ski for nordic skiing i think it's the e99 or there's the e is it e105 and they also have the like the nansen you know nansen skis so they're but they're basically very very simple skis really but they're made out of wood and uh they're very light so if you have to carry them on your back or whatever they're very they're kind of very light and they're kind of they're kind of strong stronger than you'd think for something so light but that but that kind of like army surplus you know those kind of skis again they're they're designed for like very abusive uh users so they're so they're, so they're very very tough um um anything else uh, like it but it is yeah so i would probably say to like if you 
it's very it's a very limited very limited uh like if you're a really good skier you might be thinking like oh i'm gonna go and climb this mountain in alaska or whatever and i'll i will ski all the way to the top and everything else but it, it generally you you want to you just wanted something more for travel not for skiing because you know if you've got like a rucksack that weighs 30 kilos and your legs are knackered and the snow conditions are terrible you know it's like breakable crust and then ice and, and all that kind of stuff the you know the the you know there's crevasses and everything else you need to have i think you're best having a system unless you're a shit hot skier then you don't need my advice you want to you want a system that's just set up for travel you know so you can go downhill on them and but you can, also you can do without them you know you can you know but the, but really our skis are are like the way to go if you're doing any like long long distance travel and like i i wore skis you know in patagonia and um in alaska uh in the ruth gorge and places and i, I didn't know how to ski at all but i would just kind of shuffle around on them wearing just plastic boots so you know so so sort of a glacial travel they're ideal because the chances fall down a crevasse are much less lessened significantly by wearing skis so so yes i guess i guess the the answer is uh i would i would focus on getting some i would focus on getting some boots that you could ski in i mean i would focus on getting uh, ice climbing setup or a or you know or a setup for mountaineering and then i would focus on getting a setup that you could use for downhill skiing and then i would sort of mix them up if need be now you can if you have the right kind of binding you can kind of force a, like a mountaineering boot into a into a ski mountaineering boot a ski mountaineering binding but you are going to uh, you are going to limit your uh, you know you limit the the ability for it to pop off if you if you take a fall or whatever and you're not you know so uh, but again you you kind of limited to like the old bindings like you can buy like is it four is it the four or five you definitely there's a four or four and I think there's a four or five and maybe there's some other ones that you can pick up on eBay like I've got about f- four pairs of bindings that I've sort of picked up over the years and you know they're they're good but you just if you're a shit skier you don't want to be going skiing on a piste with four or four bindings you're kind of asking for to have an accent really you know and you know if you get like a spiral if you get like a spiral fracture you know you're not going to be climbing for a long time and it's going to cost you a lot you know a lot of a lot of pain basically uh, have an accent like that so um you know it's like a lot of things if you're going to go skiing just go skiing and if you're going to go climbing, just go climbing. And when you when you when you can ski pretty well and you can climb pretty well, then try and amalgamate them to some degree. But probably still, you know, it's like you know, can I get a kayak that I can, you know, that I can also use as a mountain bike? You know, kind of like kayak to the bottom of a cliff, you know, to the mountain and my, and my kayak, and then put some wheels on and you know like go up to the top and bike back down and then get back and make it back to a kayak you probably can but you probably don't want to bother fanning on with it because you just spend a lot of money and you'd be disappointed so so yeah so i guess that's you know if you have if you if you've got any more if if that doesn't answer your question and no i haven't used those bindings but i have used quite a lot of bindings uh like that so um you know it's a bit of it's a it's a 
like skiing is skiing is bloody fantastic i must say like it took me it took me years to get into skiing but it is kind of fantastic but also it's a bit boring but it's kind of it's kind of fantastic and boring really you could say like sex is a bit boring it's like the same old thing in it you know never never changes so <laughs> but, but like sex you know like you know you know <laughs> you know keep thinking about it like oh let's go skiing anyway so so that's it so um another question hello sir oh, very nice um this is from robert I was wondering if I could pick your brains about a pair of starter axes for mixed and ice climbing. Do you think it's worth investing on an expensive pair to begin with so there is less need to upgrade later on? Difficult difficult to see uh, through the haze of Petzl and Black Diamond marketing for a clear, unbiased opinion. Any help will be appreciated. Rob, so there's a weird noise in the background. That's when the... For some reason, this house instead of having one water water pump, it has two. So if you put anyway, so it's very loud anyway. So um, uh, yeah, it's I guess yeah the you well you yeah the I guess to begin with yeah, Petzl and Black Diamond do kind of dominate the market. And then you've got your your camp camp DMM, like a few other people making ice axes, um. Like DMM, I always feel like I always feel that DMM are always like one generation behind um, Petzl and Black Diamond. Uh, maybe that's unfair, and probably the same with with Camp. I would say that any any ice axe that you can buy from there's probably another company I'm missing out here. Uh, a lot of them have seemed to have disappeared. Um, yeah, because before, but when I started climbing, you had things like. You had, you know, amount of technology. You had, uh, what else did you have? You have, uh, you had HB. You had various other people making ice axes, but yeah, they do kind of, they, they too do kind of dominate the market. Um, I'm not really. I, I'm sure, like camp ice axes are fine. I'm sure they'd be great. I'm sure they'd be good if you go, if you get like any any sort of good quality camp ice axe. You know, if you get one on a deal, which you probably will do because they're always a bit cheaper. Then I think Camp have actually made uh, a huge, uh, huge improvement. Actually, I think they really are. Uh, they are like a lot better than they used to be, and uh, you know I think they make like you know good good gear now. I remember when I used to be the gear. Like what people don't realize about gear, gear people working for magazines is uh, is very connected to the marketing. So you would, you know, if you work for a lot of magazines, you'd, you know, say outside magazine, you would have the person doing like reviews and you're often it's tied into the marketing. Same with like, well, same with, I know it definitely is true with a lot of walking magazines. Uh, you know, often you'd have like the reviewer and, you know, the gear reviewer and the uh, the marketing person going around together at trade shows. And you'd be like, you know, if you do, a, if you commit to this much advertising in the magazine, we will commit to, you know, giving you reviews. And generally, you're not gonna give, you're not. That's why people basically don't like slag off pharmaceutical companies because they give like, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, probably uh, advertisers in, um, in you know, modern media and stuff. So, um, you know, if you watch like American Telly, like every advert is pharmaceutically you know pharmaceutical drugs and all that kind of stuff so 
so yeah so so a lot of the you know but the the so yeah when i used to go around was a gear reviewer you know i think high um camp used to do like a full page advert every month in the magazine i work for on the back cover which is like you know like probably the most expensive advert and i never used to review any of the products because i didn't really think any of it was like it was that good really so but i do i had I think since then that was you know twenty years ago, but I think I think they really have uh, improved a lot camp, and I do you do see a lot of like quite good deals on camp on camp gear. So I think DMM, as I say, like DMM are they seem to me a generation behind. There hasn't been any like really really massive, uh, you know, like you often get of these um, kind of. Uh, like offshoot kind of it goes you know axes will go in one direction and then it'll just die, die on the vine so like i think things like carbon fiber ice axes you know it's just you know it's just as an exotic kind of thing you know it's like um you know someone said about like carbon fiber bikes that they're basically a way of making plastic bikes it's much easier to make a carbon fiber bike i don't know if that's true than a, than a steel bike but if you make a steel bike it lasts forever, you know, a steel frame bike where a carbon fiber bike, you can have to replace it every few years and it costs like 10 times more than a steel bike. I don't know if that's true, but it's probably, you know, with ice axes, you're always kind of worried with um, the carbon fiber ones, like how, you know, how it, they're probably great for just stand, you know, just bog standard ice climbing, you know, and cascades and stuff and the very light and very little vibration and all these kind of things you have in the advertising. But uh, if you're taking it to Scotland, they, you know whether they were whether they were tough or not, tough enough for like putting the shafts in and twisting them and all that kind of stuff. Like a lot, like a lot of carbon fiber gets gets very weak the second you get any kind of damage to it. Um, like if you're trying to put in a in a peg and you know any miss and it like whacks into the side of your ice axe, that's not that's probably not very good. I'm sure they're over over designed anyway. But even so. Um, yeah, so I often feel like DMM is is kind of one was one generation behind, but there hasn't been any crazy improvements in ice axes for a long for a long time really. Uh, you know, you had like the the leashless axes and the the kind of the sporty style ice axes with the handles and everything else, like the nomics and everything else. But they don't, I don't feel like there's been a you know that that kind of revolution has kind of uh, stopped now. So, so I guess the the main thing is uh, unless unless you really know what you're doing, then definitely avoid any of the axes, you know, with the you know double hand position dry tool kind of ice axes. I don't know what you call them now. You know, you've you know you've got like a kink in and the handles are set at degrees. So you've got like the mixed uh, what are they call you know. So you've got the mixed version of the nomic and you've got the nomic like the petzl nomic. And they are really great if you're just going ice climbing, or they're just really they are really really great for climbing ice axes, but they're not so great for mountaineering. And generally, when you first start off ice climbing, you're going to be doing mountaineering more. So you can be doing like you know if you're doing like couloirs or um, you know having to top out through cornices or very easy snow slopes where you're having to dagger you know use the shaft of the ice axe if you're trying to build belays with them if you're trying to dig a snow hole or trying to dig trenches or trying to do stuff with the ads 
or hammer things in with a hammer. Like all, you can do all those things with a, with like a sporty ice axe, but they're um, they're not as they're not as good. Like they're you know they're kind of like an over like you know a nomic hammer is like pretty tiny thing. It's just for show almost, and um, you know they, they don't. I seem to remember they don't feature in ads, or they're just not very they're not very practical. They're kind of they're just really for pure climbing so if you just said i'm just going to get into cascade climbing and i'm not interested in any kind of snowy crap i'm just climbing ice and i want to do like mixed climbing then like i would say like the the nomics are like probably still like one of the best ice axes like i used to work i used to be sponsored by black diamonds i had like lots of black diamond ice axes so i i would say my feeling about black diamond ice axes is the picks aren't as good quality. Oh, there's Gravel speaking of quality. Um, the picks aren't as good quality. Uh, but that's just my, my maybe that's changed. But I, I always found that my black diamond stuff seemed to wear out quite quickly. Um, why that is, I don't know. Um, so but I don't want to get sued by black diamond. But I just found, I just found, like none if you do a lot of climbing, they're all going to wear out and they're all going to get bent and stuff. But you know, if you start with a, um, is it a, is it a B rating, T rating? Is a T the strongest? So you basically start, you know, with a something like a, is it a pulsar? What's it called? The quark. The quark, isn't it? The quark. Is it quark? Better have a look. Let me have a look at my computer. I don't want to be telling you the wrong thing. So you you basically want to start with a with a with a with a with an axe that's. That'll, that you can climb as hard as you're ever going to climb with it, and um, and you can uh, you can do kind of basic mountaineering with it as well. Like you don't want like they're not walking axes; they are they're, they are climbing axes. Yeah, quark. So the 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 axes I currently own. So I've got a nomic, I've got a quark, I've got a summit summit a sumtech. <clears throat> and I've got like some kind of lightweighty gully things. So the the one I've used the most recently in the last three or four years is actually a Sumtech, which is like a very lightweight kind of modular ice axe. Now that is the axe I would probably recommend if you were just... Uh, so that weighs 470 grams, one of those. And you get, there's a hammer and there's also... Uh, an ads version and you can replace the picks but i doubt you doubt you'd ever wear them out and they're kind of um so that for so for like for just for pure mountaineering you know you can use them without leashes you know you don't need a leash it's got like a thing for your thumb to rest on and i guess i've climbed climbing wise i've probably climbed up to like grade five um like what kind of grade ice probably like th three or four like ice climbing like you know, you are um, WI four, WI three, and uh, they're. Um, but you do notice a big difference because they're very, very light. You do notice a huge difference when you actually start using a quark or a nomic, and the big difference is, uh, you know, you, like once you once you start doing harder, harder ice, or even like easy, it makes easier ice easier and harder ice easier is having the ability to swap hands like on a nomic you know so you'll you'll put your you'll put your axe in there'll be like a piece of ice and there's only one piece of ice so you'll pick the spot you'll put your axe in and it's like 
it's a good placement. And then you put your other hand. So you so you got your left, your right hand is on the bottom of the axe. Then you step you step up. You put your other axe on your shoulder. You swap hands. So you put your your left hand on top of the on top of the top position of the nomic. And then you take your take your right hand off and grab the axe on your shoulder. And then you reach up. And then you like put your axe somewhere else in another tiny piece of ice. And you put that in there. And then you step up. And again you take the bottom axe axe out. Put it on your shoulder. Swap over. Blah blah blah. So it. And even when you're, um, even you know, when you're climbing steep ice, the ability to like swap hands, shake out your hands, put them back again, put the screw in, swap hands, swap hands, it makes it just makes a massive difference. But you just have to get comfortable, um, you know, being on one axe, you know. So, so you, you your your axes are always. Te- I I think you're crazy if your axes are tethered to you. So you're not gonna you're not gonna fall off. Um, <laughs> you're not going to drop them like I, i'm almost i did a route on long's peak i think it's in my book cold wars long's peak in uh colorado like a winter ascent at long's peak and i think we dropped we dropped two ice axes on the route um so yeah i think one of them both of them on the same pitch i dropped one and then i got an ian parnell sent me up his axe and i dropped that one as well so it was not wasn't wasn't good so you want to you want you basically want your axes attached to you anywhere and then you got like the gully axes, so that's what you want to. That's what you want to use. Like they're even lighter, a gully axe, and they have like a little hammer on them. So that's what you want to do. What you want to use if you were going to go and do like how much does that one weigh? That's two hundred eighty grams. That's super light. So that that's what you'd want to use if you were going to go and do like Mount Kenya or you know like some sort of ski mountaineering kind of very very easy. Like you can't you can't climb climb ice with them. Your ice axe was just ba- was bounced off. So quark quark is five hundred, five hundred and fifty grams. So it's so again, it's like a hundred grams heavier. Now the like that it that you know when that axe came out, that was like the best ice axe in the world. You know that was the ice axe that the real hard men were using, and everyone else had like you know pulsar ice axes or you know the, the you know it was a really kind of radical. Um, it basically wasn't that radical. It was basically. Uh, you know, a version of like the DMM Predator. So, like DMM at one point were really ahead of the game, but they just don't have this. I don't just don't have the same amount of money to invest in loads of like R and D and stuff. So, I think they tend to focus more on making very solid, well-made ice axes. And um, so, we'll look DMM. And uh, you know, rather than trying to like push the boat out, because I just don't think they have that. You know, it's not. It's not their. Um, it's just it's just harder for some companies to to do that. Like pets will have like, you know, thirty designers or something. So it's uh, so if you look at the if you look at the 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 the, the DMM ice axes. So their equivalent would be the fly, still I guess the fly or the apex. Um, um, like the yeah. So the the I've used the flies. So the flies are. A little bit less and a little bit less extreme axe compared to the quark, um, where the apex is kind of, it's kind of, again it's like kind of in between the two. The kind the apex is kind of, is is kind of a, a quark plus, and a nomic minus if you know what I mean, and the fly is like a quark minus if that makes sense. So that so the fly if you were just gonna do general winter climbing it's it's like one it's it's like one step up from the summit tech summit tech so like dmm have kind of got their axes kind of stitched 
positioned in between all the other ones really the the um which is probably a good way, good way of doing it so yeah so an apex a dmm apex you can use that for daggering you could um but it has you know it's got like an ext quite an extreme bend on it um uh, similarly yeah, it's going to be slightly more extreme than the quark but you know that that'd be a, still be a really good ice axe and if you're if you're a climber if you were if you were like a walker and you said you're going to buy you know you're going to buy an ice axe for climbing then you're probably not ever going to be doing anything involving steep ice but if you're a climber then you probably will so um it probably you're probably not it's probably not worth buying something too low you know low down in the rankings because then you are going to have to replace it later on so yeah so probably maybe maybe like again like the apex is quite a i think that's quite a small quite a small ads because it is kind of more of a climbing it's more of a climbing tool um let's have a look at the features blah 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 can't see it yeah they, so you probably look so 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 look at like i'd look at a, a dmm apex or a petzl quark let's have a quick look at the dmm like um no look look at black diamond um gravel is a weird one um uh like the kind of i don't know i think i think gravel is more of a is more of a uh i don't know i'm not I'm never quite sure about gravel don't want to get sued by them i think they i think before they were gonna they want a long time ago that we're gonna sue me over something something i said <laughs> i said that, that when they brought out the machine which the machine is actually good was a good ice axe um when they brought out the machine i think i said it was like uh, commercial suicide because they brought it out and it had uh, um, you know it had uh, these kind of weird dampeners on them um, and I, I said you know it was like it was mad selling them with these dampeners on them because no one was going to buy it and I don't think anyone did so but anyway I don't think they like me saying that so yeah that, that's the thing you have to be careful with these things um, yeah because the, the the classic the classic one the classic one that DM that black diamond did was the viper so the modern viper yeah i guess the, mod, the, the modern vipers look good they've got they've got the sort of 230 quid so the so the dmm ones are basically 30 quid cheaper um i don't know i would between a viper so again the viper's sort of in there the viper is basically the D, the black diamond version of a quark and um yeah, I would probably, I would say it's like not as like it's got it's slightly more kind of high tech like the sh the shape and stuff, but you know the DMM one the DMM ones might be, you know I don't know but I think the DMMs probably have a better pick. Like I, I remember once I, I was given like some prototype Vipers when they first came out, when I think the Isax at the time was probably a Black Diamond. It was just a Cobras. Just had a cobra, so they brought out the the viper, and it was kind of aluminium, like aluminium shaft and everything else. And and so anyway, so I got these sent these ice axes, and I think I climbed. I had them for about two years, and I used them. I took them to Patagonia. I used them all over the place, ice climbing, ice climbing in the Alps, and mountaineering. I went went up the Drew, did the Drew Couloir, and all that kind of stuff with them. 
and then I gave them to Ian Parnell, and Ian Parnell used them for about another two years. And I think he was doing like, um, what's that thing? Thingy bang, uh, baby banger. It's called baby. Anyway, he's doing. I can't remember what it's called now. Anyway, he was doing some famous Swiss ice route, and he had the he had the ice axe in. He put a quick draw into the bottom of the ice axe. Then were the days used to belay off your ice axe like that. He'd like back up the belay by like putting the ice axe in and clipping the ice axe into the belay and he and he tugged it and the spike of the ice axe just fell out and he went to see um black diamond in switzerland afterwards and kind of looked at these ice axes and they're like oh my god these weren't designed these weren't meant to be used these were just for photographs so <laughs> they probably it was all just like glued together it didn't have any obviously didn't have any rivets in it or whatever so thank god yeah it's, oh, yeah horrible thought so um but they're all yeah. You're not gonna get you're not gonna get a bad a bad. Let's have a let's have a quick look at the let's have a look at Gravel. Let's see what Gravel have got on. Gravel, look at this. It's like live. Like Gravel are kind of. I think they're just a little bit wackier sometimes. Have a look. Black Diamond, Gravel. The Gravel often suffered in the past, like in the US, because of um, exchange rates uh, products. Ice axes. <laughs> God, they've got some wacky ones. Yeah, let's go to the north. Machine, light machine. Hmm. Hmm. I've used the north machines. Yeah, I just don't. I just don't. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. I'm afraid. Uh, you can get like a North machine. It's a bit cheap, 187 euros. Um, I'm sure they're fine, but I just don't. I don't like the big chunky plastic thing on the bottom. Uh, I find it kind of hard to, if you're racking your ice axes, if you're like putting your ice axes into something, I find that's a bit of a pain. And I find they're not as easy to to slide in like a very important technique with an ice axe for scottish winter climbing is like if you get a crack if you get the crack that's kind of the width of the ice axe and you have a bent if the shaft is like curved then if you put the sh if you put the shaft in and you pull on the blade the pick it tends to like it like talks the shaft so the shaft like locks in into the thing if you know what i mean so there's so in scotland there's quite a lot of putting your sticking your shaft in into cracks and things and sort of leveraging off them and that kind of stuff so I would have thought like the north machine is probably more designed for kind of you know continental ice climbing you know sort of that kind of thing or i think probably you know the the petzl and the dmm ones especially i guess the, the if you think about you know if you if you think like the, the like the apex gets a lot of uh, it's like it's got like a yeah it's kind of a good a good kind of uh, a good kind of shape good kind of design um, it's got quite a small ads so for for mountaineering again the the thing he's got quite a small ads as well I think it, I always think it'd be quite good if they did uh, if they did um, like much bigger ads is and you know because that like an ads is a real lifesaver if you've got to dig a snow hole or whatever um you know like digging away at stuff digging through cornices and stuff like an ads is, is kind of important also 
for mixed climbing and ads again is like super super important for like talking and putting in cracks and stuff i guess a good thing about the dmm ads is it's probably very very strong which is uh, it's probably designed for that kind of thing uh, what's the ads like on a quark yeah the ads is the ads is a good thing like whacking you whacking yourself in the head as well yeah i think the ads it's like a four I seem to remember it's like a forged a forged ads uh, it doesn't say on here um so yeah those kind of weight the weights you get on axes actually quite handy as well like the that go on the blade they're kind of just they're kind of designed to make it like damp damp you know when you're putting the axes in so you can take them off to make the axe a bit lighter but they're actually quite good for mixed climbing because they kind of it's like having a nut but the classic the classic thing was like it's a nut on a stick you know you can get get the that bit jammed in there and um yeah i guess that i guess they do, do they do different picks so if you're going if you're just going to go ice climbing definitely worth it's definitely worth um ice axe spares yeah, you can get different switch mountain mix mountain ads pick weights yeah it's definitely, it's definitely worth getting an axe where you can put um like a thinner blade a b blade and then a t is technical blade you know you can put like a thinner a sort of mixed climb uh, ice climbing pick on it if you're going to do a lot of ice climbing because you get kind of wrecked um yeah so i think i don't want me talking i'm 10 minutes christ so i guess i guess that's gonna have to be i guess was that is that in use um like, like whatever you get it's gonna be great and i would again if you're not if you're in doubt go on ebay and uh, have a look see what people are selling and you know you can what the first ice axes i had i had some i had some clog vultures i also had like a a pterodactyl and uh snowden moldings carver and then i kind of built up i think i think the first proper ice axes then i had a charlie i had a no it was a simond barracuda and then i had an amount of technology axes and then eventually i got some dmm axes dmm predators which were great and then i up and then I swapped them for some flies, which were I didn't like them as much because they're a bit quite light. <laughs> I don't know why I'd, why I mind. I did. I kind of kind of kind of really liked the ads on the Predator because they had a, they brought out an ads which was like super strong. It was like a forged ads, and you could. I remember doing that route, um, white magic, and you could just like put the ads in and kind of like walk the ads up the crack, like doing like a leaper cam hook. That was really good. And then I kind of then I, then I, then I started working. Uh, so yeah, I was work, got working for Black Diamond, and then I started getting Black Diamond ice axes, and then I, then then went moved over to Petzl and got Petzl axes. But they're all they're all they're all kind of good. But you know they are. You do really notice a nomic. You know you do really notice those. Um, you know those those modern axes, like how good they are. They really are pretty amazing. They do make a huge difference. But whether you'd really notice it, you know. You know, I probably climbed the hardest routes as a climber using uh, uh, vipers, which would now be seen as being like just bog standard ice axes. But it's just it's more it's just about being com- feeling confident in whatever ice axes you've got, and then and there aren't, there aren't any ice axes that are just going to break and fall apart. Um, so yeah, yeah, whatever you get, you generally you generally get through quite a lot of ice axes as a cl- ice climber because you. 
and you need like a you need, you need like different ones really so you probably need one that's like the summit techs are quite a good entry level one because you will then like i you know i've used those in so I use those on, on Denali. I also use them on... It could have done with a longer ice axe for Denali. But use them in, like, New Zealand. Uh, use them on Mount Kenya. Use them for stuff where you... You know, if you're doing rock climbing in the Alps and you have to approach and use an ice axe, it's, a, it's you know, it's, it's a medium weight. You can actually do some actual ice climbing with it. It will actually climb ice. Where if you get a lighter one, it won't. It'll just literally bounce, bounce off. You can't do anything with it. Uh, you have to kind of dry tool with those kind of ice axes. Um, yeah, you, don't, you want an ice axe where you put it in a crack and you start talking on it, it's not going to snap off, which does happen if you've got one of these kind of lightweight aluminium axes. So, yeah, I guess what just just get ever whatever you get will be fine, but I would not pay top dollar, don't pay top dollar <laughs> for one that's um low end, you know, and think of spending more money later on if you're going to buy like a a lower end ice axe like DMM fly, you know, or you know that kind. Of, lower end as in not like the highest spec axes. Then I would just try and see what you could pick up secondhand and uh, get them off like eBay somewhere. Or see what sales you got on, and maybe check out Camp, see what they've done. Just look at it. Just compare the, you know, what kind of ads has it got? What kind of hammer has it got? Does it have a kink shaft? You know, you want one that's kind of just curved so it'll slide into snow and um slide into your harness if you put in your harness and you have a somewhere to clip in you want one that's got a hole in the head so you can clip into it uh, if you're building a beeler or a anchor and then you want a hole in the bottom something to clip in so you can clip into that with your your uh, lanyard things and uh replaceable picks they'll all have that and i guess that's it so yeah so um so yes so good a good uh, uncontroversial unco- good un- uncontroversial uh, podcast this week so that will please some people and um i have i have actually recorded i have actually recorded uh the my last show so i shall i shall edit that together and i'll i'll put that out next next friday and a few people have emailed me to say they did reviews on apple but they kind of, for some reason, they got zapped. So it's still on 27 reviews. I need to get it up to, need to get it up. So uh, if you've got time, just do a little review, tiny review, like great, shit, V shit, whatever, V great, um, V good, V shit, then then bang it on there. And, and then send me an email. I'll send you a copy of my PDF of like driven peg, how to hammer pegs into things. And until next time, uh, I, was, I think I need to, I need to have like an ending. I need like an outro kind of um, live, live free. <laughs> no, I think it's something better for next week. Okay, see you soon. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. 
by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.